What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period, an all-of-the-above podcast extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes. Of course, our full episodes have super dope guests and news and headlines and shout-outs and all that good stuff. A whole lot of stuff, actually. And we throw those on the YouTubes, and we edit that video ourselves, and it takes a while. So in between those full episodes, we drop these Passing Periods just for the audio-only listeners, the podcast streamers. Shout-out to all of y'all. My name is Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher and i'm here with jeff and jeff man whoo summertime summertime you're on break right i just want to clarify just make sure you're on summer break like i am uh no i work year-round i'm most decidedly not on break and after Aww. the hardest year ever uh Aww. begins the busiest time of year for me which is summer however i will say uh Today marks the start of my vacation, so I'm about to be uh, heading back to uh, my hometown, oh. see family for uh, a little over two weeks, and um, I am not doing any kind of work during that time, Manuel, and that is a beautiful, fantastic thing. And then when I get back, uh, it's going to be wild, and <laughs> we'll deal with that when, when it comes. Nice. But the next two weeks are going to be relaxed. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, congrats yeah. on that. Also, I just 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 backing up one second. I, I appreciate your gracious introduction to this passing period by saying we edit the video. But I, I got to let the audience know what what Manuel means by we edit the video is that, that he edits the video, and then I watch the video and I <laughs> and I say, hey, there's like a you know flash at forty two minutes that you should fix or. Uh, you know, there's an animation that like came in too early. And uh, so I don't know what that's called in the, uh, you know, in the world of, of <laughs> Hollywood. Like maybe that's like quality control specialist or something. But Manuel is most decidedly the editor. I am the other dude who uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a video copy editor, I guess you might say. There we go. No, that works. That works. Appreciate yes. it. Appreciate it. And um safe travels on your on your vacation and all that and and folks that that means nothing in terms of our episode release like i've had folks ask like how do y'all keep releasing episodes and doing all that and keeping it consistent all the way through when you have like a million other things you each do in your professional life and personal life and this and that and uh the answer is um it's a secret can't tell you can't tell you but we do have a full episode <laughs> next week a super dope episode actually with the principal a high school principal who's um working in really the the heart of last summer's racial uprising it wasn't an uprising in fact it was a lot of performative stuff that we saw from corporations and all that but um you know that's that's another story but yes uh principal who who works in minneapolis um super dope is going to talk to us about that experience and also the um you know pandemic schooling experience and all that so there will be a full episode chock full of news and guests and all that good stuff next week despite the fact that um jeff is on vacation and then we just keep it rolling here we just keep it rolling don't know how we do it but it's a two-person operation and your support is greatly appreciated that support could come in the way of positive ratings and reviews it could come in the way of like financially helping us out the, through aotashow.com slash support through buying some of our our merchandise or uh you know contributing venmo cash app all that good stuff uh, but yeah we keep it rolling we keep it rolling somehow some way and with that being said jeff uh for this passing period uh let's you know we we usually talk about some stories that maybe didn't make it into our most recent full episode so what's what's the story for today what are we talking about yeah, well, today we got an interesting uh, story that is going to be like this sort of grounding uh, anecdote for a larger discussion, okay? 
And this story uh, comes to us by some good reporting from Ali Tadayan uh, in EdSource. Uh, shout out to EdSource, uh, doing a lot of great reporting and education here in the state of California. Um, and it's, it's just a fascinating story, but I, I think we're going to like zoom out from it um, to think about it on a national level as well. So in this story, which is titled uh, How a California Middle School's History Project Led to a School Name Change, um, features a middle school in West Contra Costa Unified School District up in the Bay Area. Um, and the school is undergoing a name change after a research project conducted by some of its students. Now, the school board has just recently voted unanimously to drop the name, the former name of the school, which was Juan Crespi Middle School, after students researched the Franciscan missionary and his role in expeditions that paved the way for the brutal, oppressive California mission system of the 1700s. Um, now, eighth grader Anaya Zanad, uh, who was featured in the article, said the mission system's treatment of indigenous children struck a chord with her. She learned about the physical and mental abuse that indigenous children were subject to, such as being forced into labor at the age of 10. She said, quote, I'm a person of color and I don't want to be treated horribly in school where I want to learn. Uh, now, Zanad, uh, who is Mexican-American, also said, if that represents our school, then why would I even want to come, end quote. So uh, the principal of the school, whose name is uh, Guthrie Fleischman, said the idea for the research project came about last year during America's racial reckoning following the murder of George Floyd. Um, and that's also when faculty began talking about um, the possibility of a name change or a, a way to reimagine the school when, when students return to campus. Um, so all students at the school were assigned to do the project in January and encouraged to do their own research using accounts of Native Americans victimized by the mission system. Um, the school will now be known as Betty Reed Soskin Middle School, named after uh, the 99-year-old East Bay activist who is also the country's oldest national park ranger. So, Manuel, this is a interesting story in and of itself, right? Like kind of students pushing for name change at their school. And also, in a year where we have seen Confederate monuments being toppled, we have seen parks and lakes and university libraries and um, study halls and you know all sorts of stuff around the country that is that have been the edifice the physical manifestation of america's racist white supremacist colonialist patriarchal etc history um, being challenged right um, and here we have a middle school doing that um, and middle school students doing that so i'd love to get your you know your reflections on this, man. What what does this make you think about? What um, you know, sort of sense of possibility might this unleash about the future of what we do with all our schools named after people like Juan Crespi? Well, Jeff, it's cancel culture. It's cancel culture. The woke mob has <laughs> struck again. The woke mob has infiltrated our our young minds. I'm just kidding. Obviously, just kidding. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. Critical race theory. Um, I heard critical race theory makes uh, frogs grow an extra leg, and uh, it makes uh, white men um, lose their testicles. Yes, 
it does all that and more and more. Uh, actually, let's talk about that, Jeff. We should be talking about critical race theory because this thing, let me tell you about how big of a danger this, this thing is to America. No, we're not gonna talk about that today. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I love this. I really, really lo love this because for one, you know, obviously a lot of schools are named after some pretty terrible oppressors. And this is by no means like the only school out there that carries the name of somebody um, who, despite being, you know, historic in this way or that way, was also um, part of brutally oppressive actions in, in, in this case, in the state of California. Several years ago, we had a guest, um, Siobhan Taylor, who, who talked, you know, we asked her like, what would you do if you were, if you had the power to, you know, just immediately like make changes to, to the schools around Los Angeles, South, South LA specifically. And she, she pointed out like so many schools in, in South LA are named after white supremacists. And she's like, number one, you got to change the names of the schools. Like, how are you going to have students attending a school named after somebody who would not even recognize those students' humanity, like, or right to education in the first place. So, so yeah, I love that, that, that aspect of this. I love that it's, that in this case, eighth graders, eighth graders were invited to this sort of learning task. Now, there's been all that talk about learning loss. There's been all that talk about how you can't really like, you know, students don't didn't learn during distance learning, virtual learning and all that stuff. And this is just one of an infinite number of examples of like how, despite the challenges of the pandemic, when students are offered the opportunity to learn something that is immediately relevant to their lived experience, like for a lot of students, they take that and run with it. And in this case, there are some students who took that and ran with it. They're like, yo, our school that we attend is literally named after somebody who would not see our humanity, who would not believe in our right to this form of education that we're getting now. Um, it's named after somebody who led a brutally, brutally oppressive genocidal mission throughout California to exterminate indig indigeneity, like in one way or another, either through erasing the culture of indigenous peoples and forcing new religion, new language, new ways, new names upon them, or through like literally taking their land and, and, and just destroying their way of life. So students are like, yo, I don't think I should attend a school named after this person because how am I supposed to feel? In this case, the student said, you know, as a student of color, like, if that represents our school, then why should I even why should I even come to this school? So I love that aspect of it. And I think there are plenty of folks out there who think, okay, well, it's just a name. There's so many other things in the world to focus on. I know when San Francisco Unified made an attempt or began the process to change the names of several schools across San Francisco. I know Fox News took that and just made it a whole thing, made it a whole thing about cancel culture and just like, you know, the, the lack of prioritizing things that matter and this and that. And I just can't emphasize enough how like something as what seems like as, as simple, quote unquote, as a name, just how major and symbolic that is. Because students, like, you know, when I was young, like are growing up in a world where all these things around them, streets, cities, schools are named after and idolize uh, a segment of the American historical population that just does not represent 
them in their own community. And it just reinforces this idea of whose voice matters, whose culture matters, whose history matters, and who doesn't. So it's so much more than just a name. So I love this story. When I saw it, I was like, yo, that's dope. That's actually some <laughs> some positive news in the world of education. And I'm happy to see that this happened. And I'm looking forward to other schools also embarking on this sort of journey. But what are your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there, Manuel. It resonates with me. And I want to I wanna push... I want to sort of um, praise what these young people have done and what the educators have done um, in that school, not only for, you know, the immediate importance for what they have done in their local context, right? Because that's obviously important. Um, but also, every time we see one of these moves, it is a really important symbol, right? Um, a beacon of truth in the sort of vast darkness of, of just like lies about what our history has been um, in this country. And it runs, the issue is it runs so, so deep, right? There's so many places where we have these monuments, some of which we, we are so internalized that like we don't even actually consider why it's a monument or what the historical significance of it is, yep. but we've grown attached to it, right? And so a great example of this that, I, that I'll share that my, um, this comes out of my, you know, my hometown. Um, uh, in Minneapolis, there is a lake, the, uh, the, the sort of biggest, most celebrated lake, I guess, in the city. And Minneapolis is the city of lakes, you know, Minnesota land of 10,000 lakes. So people love our lakes there. We don't have oceans, we got lakes, right? <laughs> Um, but Lake, what used to be called Lake Calhoun was, uh, it's this, you know, big, cool lake. There's little beaches on it. There's lots of, it's in like a trendy part of town. There's lots of like, you know, cool restaurants and stores near there. And people would always talk about like going to Calhoun, right? And I would say 95% of people didn't even necessarily realize that that lake was named after John Calhoun, you know, uh, slaver confederate states rights dude <laughs> right um and uh you know just like a vicious uh white man right is he um, is he not from and, minneapolis <laughs> he's from south carolina if memory <laughs> serves i think he was uh a member of congress Wait, senator yeah senator yeah. i think from south carolina right so um you know when you think about that right like how the hell did a lake in minnesota get named after this vicious Confederate slaver white man senator from South Carolina, right? Like what has to happen and what has to be behind the symbolism of that um, in order to, to get that into the psyche of everyone in a state that's thousands, you know, a thousand miles away that fought against the Confederacy in the Civil War, right? And we have tens of thousands of examples of that. Um, you talked about uh, you know, our earlier uh, conversation about uh, on our, you know, on our show about renaming schools in South L.A. Well, what's one of the, you know, flagship high schools in uh, in South L.A.? Thomas Jefferson High School. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, in East L.A., uh, we have, you know, Garfield High School named after, you know, President James Garfield and Theodore Roosevelt High School. <laughs> right. Um, like. 
major institutions that generations of families go through that are named after these people who quite frankly either carried out wars or campaigns of oppression against the very people who attend the schools now, or certainly were in support of and carried out related schemes of oppression, right? Um, to those folks, uh, you know, ancestors. And there's, there's just so much of the, the lie and the misrepresentation and the mythology that we live within every day. And every time, like these young people, uh, you know, up in the Bay Area did in renaming their school. And every time, um, you know, Lake Calhoun in Minneapolis now has, its, has been returned to its indigenous name, right? So it's uh, Bide Makaska is the name of the lake now, right? Um, and it's like, every time we do that, we are, it's like turning on a light in the, you know, in the, the vast darkness <laughs> that we have found ourselves stuck in. And I, I think it's just so symbolically important and we gotta keep doing it. We gotta do it everywhere we can because people think, you know, it's just the South, it's just Alabama and Mississippi, like, nah, it's California, it's New York, it's Washington DC, it's Minnesota, it's Alaska, it's everywhere here. And um, we gotta keep doing it. And every time it happens, it's like a little, you know, it's like a snowball going down a big hill, right? It's like, it gets a little, one more roll, it gets a little bit bigger. So I, I really appreciate what these folks have, have done. I hope to see a lot more of this. Um, you know, we, uh, we need this because we can't have institutions that enshrine you know, the, the worst of our history as the, as the places that we are supposed to create loving institutions out of or, or treat with reverence. We've got to correct this. And so I love it. I appreciate it on like a spiritual level. This is good for us as a people. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I know there have been battles across the country over changing the names of certain schools. I think on a passing period several months ago, I think we talked about a school in Florida where a teacher was suspended and potentially fired. I don't, I don't know what the latest is for having a Black Lives Matter flag over her classroom. And, and um, part of that story was also like the name of the school and how like a lot of alumni don't want to change the name, but like current students, like, you know, the demographics have changed. So these white alumni from like decades and decades and decades ago, like are trying to hold on to old racist name. And that just should have never been there in the first place, but certainly not now in today's context with a, um, more more and more students of color at at that particular school and schools schools like it. So there's there's a lot of backlash. There's a lot of you know folks saying quote unquote this is cancel culture and erasing history and all that stuff. And it's like come on, like if 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 your history depends on a school being named after a terrible person. If that's all that's left of that history, and if you get rid of that name, the history is erased. And it's like, what kind of, how, how important was that history in the first place if it could just be erased by changing the name of a freaking school? But in any case, yeah, I, I love to see it. There, If we're gonna name schools and places after people, why not name them after the best of the best of us? Like, why, why defend the name of a person who was 
horrible person that who in today's context um, would be looked at as just like the worst of the worst. Like why hold on to that name? And for folks, you know, a lot of folks have that argument of, well, you know, back in their time, that was normal. Like we're judging them on today's standards and that's not fair because the standards of back then were different. I would argue or reply that when it comes to brutal treatment of people's I don't care what year you are pointing to. That was never just blankly ex- considered okay. Like even when it comes to the Spanish empire and their conquest, quote unquote, of the Americas and the genocide that took place there, like even at that time, there, there was considerable question over whether or not what was being done was morally correct. So the Valladolid debate, where, you know, the first moral debate in European history, so-called, like they debated whether or not the treatment of indigenous folks was the way it was happening, um, whether or not that was moral and what, whether or not that was correct. And that Valladolid debate was like early, early in the colonial era. That was like 1500s when they were debating whether or not the treatment of indigenous folks was was morally okay. So if they were debating that way back then, don't hit me with the whole like, well, things were different back then. It was just, you know, it was accepted. Like this type of stuff was accepted back then. So we can't judge them. Like, no, we could definitely judge them. I would argue that I don't care what year it is on, on the planet Earth. If you are committing an act against another human being that leads to that human being crying and screaming in agony, that crying and screaming is the clue that what is happening is not right. So I don't want to hear nothing about like previous standards and like slave owners, you know, it was normal back then. That's how they were raised, this and that. Like they heard the the crying agony of enslaved persons. They knew that was wrong. They They did all this stuff to their own thinking to try to like bury those feelings of like, whoa, what I'm doing is wrong. So like miss me with that argument for sure. So shout out to the middle schoolers up in the Bay Area for being part of this project. And shout out to the educators at that school for making space for students to take the lead on this. It would have been very easy, I think, for the principal or or committee of teachers there to like do this on their own and go to their board on their own and just leave students out of it. But in this case of like, it, it seems that the educators handed it to the students and said, yo, y'all look into who this person was. Y'all look into stories from the indigenous perspective, from indigenous voices about this person and the mission system and get back to us about whether or not you think the name of the school is proper. And the students did that. And the students were like, yeah, this name got to go. So shout out to those educators for making space for students to take the wheel on this one for sure. Yeah, I... I- Definitely, everything you said right there, Manuel, just uh, so resonates with me. And what you're making me think about is the extent to which uh, the issue here with the like, you know, critical race theory, critical race theory, white lash, is not that there is actually any debate about the the you know the reality of our oppressive history. The extent of the backlash that we are seeing is the evidence of the fact that they know. Everybody knows. <laughs> they may not have read all the books and you know be fully literate in all the nitty-gritty details, right? But there is actually knowledge and understanding of the of the oppression that has taken place. And what we're seeing is the defensive the rageful defensiveness of not wanting to have to confront that and not wanting to have to face the moral consequences of that, right? Which include things like reparations, sharing power, um, acknowledging complicity, um, you know, et cetera, right? 
giving up one's unearned privilege, those kind of things, right? And so, I, you know, I think it's so important when we are confronting this kind of mass delusion uh, and, this, and this mythology, uh, as I like to call it at least, that, um, that we like keep hammering away because they're not going to stop, right? They're, they're not going to uh, just be like, okay, cool, rename the middle school. Right? <laughs> like they're, they're going to push back in, in any places where they have the ability to do so. And, uh, and we're going to have to meet that with resistance, right? Or with equal or greater force. And, um, and I, I mean, you know, political and, and spiritual force. But, um, but it's, it, they're, they're not going to give up without a fight, right? Um, if history has taught us anything, it, it has taught us that. And um, I think we have, you know, there's so many angles with which we can pursue justice, right? Not everybody's going to be the person out in the street confronting the cops with tear gas and tanks, right? But a lot of people can be at the school board meeting to support renaming the school, right? Or can be at the city council meeting to rename the park or can write letters to their, you know, mayor about taking that statue out of city hall or whatever it might be, right? Um, and I think as we chip away at these monuments of a, of a mythologized past, we have the ability to create a new narrative, right? So it's not just that we're taking away the name Juan Crespi, you know, imperialist from the school, we're replacing it, right? Um, and, uh, you know, replacing it with, in this case, Betty Reed Soskin, who to me, you know, was a new name to me. Uh, maybe I just missed that day in school, right? But next time a kid shows up at that school and is like, who's Betty Reed Soskin? And goes to the little plaque on the wall or Googles it and looks it up on Wikipedia or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, wow, this woman who, <laughs> you know, who was a community activist and is a park ranger. Isn't that cool, <laughs> right? Um, and, and it's about telling a truthful story in the place of a, you know, a hateful, uh, whitewashed, made up story. And I think that is where, you know, in as much as it feels good to like win the victory in these cases right now, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, when the community has organized itself around like, oh, you went to Soskin? Oh yeah, I went to Soskin back in 2022. Like, oh, did you have, you know, Miss Johnson, wasn't she great? Like, we're gonna have a whole new set of stories and history and narrative about, uh, about what it means to be a part of that community, right? Um, and that stuff is incredibly powerful. And so the more examples of that we see, the more, uh, you know, restorative, uh, you know, it feels, at least to me, and I think will be to many, many people. Yep. I agree. I agree. And I think now it's more difficult than ever to hide the truth or bury the truth. So maybe when I was in school and if my middle school was named after Juan Crespi, maybe, you know, me not knowing who he is, maybe I have to go out of my way to go to a library and find the edition of the encyclopedia that has, you know, him in there and read up on him. But now it's like, Siri, who's Juan Crespi? And like instantly it's right there and it's even more difficult to bury the truth. So one thing that 
I continue to be very hopeful about is this younger generation and how like no matter what the bills do, um, the legislative bills, no matter what the efforts are to to keep history looking a certain way, like nah, man, young people, you can't hide that information from them. At one way or another, they're gonna find it and they're gonna act on it. And I'm thinking about like the article I read this week about uh, black TikTokers like on strike because they've realized that they're the ones who start so many of the most popular dance trends on TikTok that end up being monetized and being um, taken by by um, some white TikTokers who have bigger platforms. And they're like, yo, psh, we're gonna not make any choreographed dances for this new uh, Meg Thee Stallion song. And we're gonna see what that does. And that, that labor strike, which is what that is, a labor strike to say like, we are tired of our labor being exploited and our labor being stolen, like that's already had a really large impact on the um, the beginning weeks of, of that of that song coming out in the streams and, and activity on TikTok. So like, yeah, these young people, man, they, <laughs> they ain't playing no games, man. They are, they mm. are, determined to make a, a better reality than the one that we have handed them. So I think we will see more and more stories of young people saying like, yeah, I found out what that was about. I ain't like that. So I did something about that. So yeah, man, mm. keep it up, young people. Yeah. Indeed. But they didn't walk to school uphill both ways in the snow. They sure didn't. So, They'll never know that know, struggle. They don't, they don't know what hard work is, right? Having a having a rewind a tape to listen to your favorite song and you re rewound too far. Now you got to go fast forward a little bit, but then you went forward too far. And it's just like the struggle, man. Hey, that, let's real talk. That was a struggle. Though. That was though. That, Damn. That, that rewind situation. <laughs> batteries running no out. Fun. Ain't got no batteries no more. I got to get some fresh batteries. Damn. I ain't got no music till I get some fresh oh, batteries. <laughs> remember, remember Blockbuster video and you used to get a fee if you didn't rewind yep. your tape before you dropped it off. Yeah, but like, if you use your own VCR to rewind all the time, uh, like eventually that like wears it out some. So you had to buy, you didn't have to buy, but you know, we splurged on a separate video rewinder that all it did was rewind videos. And um, yeah, man, the struggle, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. You old, Mr. Wow. Garrett, you old. <laughs> Mad old, crusty and old. Yes. <laughs> oh well, with that, yes. Man, well, we should we should probably uh, bid our lovely audience farewell for this week, um, and uh, and just say that we appreciate all of you, um, and it has been a wonderful, beautiful thing to see pictures from across the country of people rocking their Teach the Truth, um, all the above t-shirts. Uh, it is just like the coolest thing when I see folks from New York and Baltimore and Chicago and Minneapolis putting up their shirts online. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And so if you would like to join the ranks of people who are uh, supporting the cause, right? Teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Um, get your t-shirt at aotashow.com slash support. Again, that's aotashow.com slash support. Um, there's a little button there that says get your get your dope merch. Um, that'll take you right to the store where you can um, you can order a shirt. And um, we got all kinds of different like configurations of it for pride and for, you know, um, uh, the Chicano flag and, you know, the uh, Pan-African flag, LGBT flag. It's it's a beautiful thing. So um, get your stuff there. Um, AOTAshow.com slash support. Um, give us a thumbs up, like this, five-star review, all that stuff. Every little bit helps, folks. Um, and we, we just so appreciate you because this is a passion project for us. 
Um, and the best part of it is connecting with with amazing people out there who are um, fighting for similar causes, um, wherever you may be in whatever, you know, context you're working in um, and schools you're working in. So we see you. We appreciate you. And, um, you know, just want to say thanks to everybody. Yeah. Love, love, love. All right, folks. With that being said, it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs>